and welcome to Your Strategy Implemented, hosted by Scarback Associates, the podcast where we meet with individuals from all walks of life to talk about their extraordinary paths to success. My name is Rebecca Stevens, and I'm joined today by Sir David Wright, Chairman of Scarback Associates, former UK Ambassador to the Republic of Korea and Japan, and Vice Chair of Barclays. Sir David is a man who knows a lot about diplomacy and about influencing, skills honed through many years in the Foreign Office and essential for a British ambassador representing his country overseas, but also extremely useful skills for anyone in business wanting to work collaboratively, to build partnerships and to get the best out of their teams. In the execution of strategy, process and organisation play an important part, but so too does the building of relationships. Sir David, we know that human nature is such that none of us really likes to be told what to do. We'd far rather that our actions be our choice, not somebody else's. We could say the understanding of this lies at the heart of all our relationships, be they friendships, parenting, educational and so on. But it is very much at the heart of diplomacy and influencing in geopolitics. Also, business. The objective is not to resort to coercion. And indeed, if we were to do so, it would be regarded as something of a failure. Now, influencing and diplomacy have a very long history, far too long to cover here. But Sir David, you might just treat us to a few historical quotes to bring to life and deepen our understanding of the powers of influencing and diplomacy. Well, thank you, Rebecca. And thank you for that uh, introduction and invitation. As you say, the reference back to the history we come from is very important. And it's very important in terms of influencing, uh, which was one of my fundamental objectives as a diplomat. There's a wonderful uh, phrase, a wonderful uh, sentence from uh, Lord Curzon, who was then Viceroy of India, Uh, at the uh, close of the 19th century, uh, which I think reflects something which should be in our mind whenever we consider how we contribute to a debate. And he said, and I quote, men who correspond over a space of 10,000 miles, which of course uh, was what Curzon was doing as Viceroy, should watch their pens for ink comes to burn like caustic when it crosses the sea. And that's important in terms uh, of how today uh, we uh, reflect our wishes and our sentiments uh, in our activities in business. It is all too easy uh, for us to emphasize a particular hobby horse without realizing the effect that it might have uh, upon those that we are dealing with. And I I give you another quote, which was Prime Minister Melbourne uh, in the 19th century said to his cabinet ministers, it is not not much matter what we say, but mind, we must say all the same. Now, that may seem self-evident to us today, but... It's interesting that in the 19th century, a prime minister felt a need to say it. And let's be perfectly frank, when it comes to what the prime minister says and what his cabinet colleagues say now, 
it is important to make sure that there is clarity uh, of statement and clarity of message. And so in response, Rebecca, to your initial uh, invitation and introduction, I would like to put alongside uh, the two words of strategy and execution, which is what Scarbet seeks to achieve, uh, a concept of consistency, uh, a concept of coordination, uh, which exists within the firm and within what, what we are offering uh, to our clients. And if, you, if we can come on to this later on, and as things have developed uh, over the last year and will develop in the coming years, that is going to become an increasingly important feature of our lives. Very interesting. Thank you for that. Now, I know that in your own life, you face many challenges working for Britain overseas. But one of your greatest challenges, as I understand, actually, in your words, the most difficult job you did in 36 years of public service was the bringing together of two very different workplace cultures in order to create a single governmental department for promoting trade and investment. Those departments were the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, with which we're very familiar, and the Department of Trade and Industry to create what was then called British Trade International. Now, this was some while ago under the Blair government in 1999. But nonetheless, if we're thinking about strategy and its implementation, then there were inherently valid points to learn from this merger that are still poignant and relevant today. Um, yes. Well, um, where do I start and where do I end is all I would say in response to that question. I was ambassador in Tokyo in 1999 when the British government under Prime Minister Blair decided that it wished to reform uh, the way in which the country uh, handled its trade and investment promotion. Uh, and I was asked to return from Tokyo to become the first chief executive uh, of an organization which in due course became known as British, uh, British Trade International and then um, UK Trade and Investment. It was a great privilege. I thought that, uh, you know, I'd been an ambassador twice. I'd done lots of jobs in Whitehall. Uh, this was a chance to be uh, in a situation where there was a demanding uh, obligation laid upon me uh, to transform a feature of British government and to establish a new government department. Uh, and I was uh, delighted to do so. That said, I think that in the late 1990s and early 20, 20s, the UK was still unprepared for the impact uh, of change uh, which was needed in order to transform the UK's uh, structures uh, designed to enhance the economy and enhance the success of the country. It was uh, really rather disturbing uh, to find myself uh, with two separate reporting lines, one to the FCO, one to the DTI, to mm -hmm. find myself, therefore, responsible for two permanent secretaries and yes. for two groups uh, of ministers, and uh, to have to accept that in the process uh, of uh, achieving the objective which uh, I was set, uh, I had to manage a set of conflicting objectives of those that I was uh, dealing with. And indeed, it goes a little further than that. One felt very much that at that stage in life, one was being asked to 
produce a result without any, without any recognition of the mechanisms needed to deal with it. Basically, we're always told, you've got the job, here it is, get on with it. Well, uh, we are all, uh, those of us who do uh, senior jobs, um, we're all prepared to respond to that challenge. But if you think of that, that was back, back in 1999, think of where we are now in 2021, and to find ourselves in a wholly new set of relationships globally and with Europe, um, we just don't actually, or we haven't actually in the past, done enough as a nation to ensure that the challenges of strategy and execution, which is, after all, uh, what um, Scarbeck is all about, we haven't done enough to support that process. And mm -hmm. I think this is a great opportunity uh, yes. for the company, uh, which we shouldn't ignore. So, so basic training and, you know, methods and processes that are helpful in, you know, achieving what we set out to do. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and I don't know whether you're aware, Rebecca, that um, in the background of the current COVID crisis, mm. um, there was a major uh, exercise conducted uh, in the Department of uh, Health called um, Exercise Cygnus uh, in 2016, mm -hmm. which was designed to be a preparation for a pandemic. The trouble yeah. was they got the wrong pandemic. <laughs> they prepared for a flu pandemic, which, bearing in mind the fact that that's been a historic feature of the winter here in the UK, is, is understandable. But the problem is, uh, and we see the consequences, or we saw the consequences, is when we found ourselves facing the pandemic of COVID-19, the consequences of that exercise were largely irrelevant because not sufficient PPE had been envisaged, not sufficient numbers uh, of ventilators had been envisaged. And um, that's one of the features, uh, I think, of the consequences of planning which needs uh, to be enhanced uh, in the country. Well, it's asking the right questions, all those unknowns, isn't it? Difficult to get right. Just going back a bit so we can learn some more from your experience with the merger, I believe that as well as the FCO and the DTI, you had a third group to manage as well, that the regional development agencies is yet another delivery mechanism for overseas trade and investment. There were the business links, the chambers of commerce, some governmental, some private sector. So how did you bring all these together? Um, uh, you're absolutely right, Rebecca, to mention the regional um, delivery mechanism. And I have to say that um, if you look at the promotion of overseas trade by the UK, or if you look at the promotion of inward investment by the UK, uh, as well as the central government uh, responsibility, the regional government or the regional structures uh, are very important. And you, you have mentioned some of them. I used to think that one, when I got my head around the challenge which awaited me in May 1999, I used to think that one of the most important features of life was communication. Mm. Um, and it, it is so essential uh, that any structure which see any institutional structure which seeks to elaborate a new process has a communications uh, role 
uh, which, uh, of which the importance cannot be underestimated. And that communications role is in two parts, or it's in more than two parts. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's a communications role in terms of your staff. Yes. And I mentioned that first because it probably is the most important. Mm. It's a communications role in terms of your stakeholders. Yes. And it's a commu communications role in terms of the external bodies and organizations that have an interest in what you're trying to do. And although that sounds rather banal and rather simplistic, mm. I'm not sure that when it comes to strategy and execution, uh, mm. we yet understand the essential nature of communication. Yeah. My view from my experience in that job is you can never do enough communication. Yeah. I used to try to have a policy of, on a daily basis, identify, because I, I worked in a, in a multi-story building uh, in Victoria Street in London, uh, which had many floors of, well, 10 floors uh, of um, officials uh, working on the projects of uh, British Trade International. I, I just don't think that you can ever do enough to reach out to those people. So I had a policy uh, of, on a daily basis, letting it be known that I would go to a part of the building for half an hour every day so that people could not only just see that I was involved, but would have the opportunity uh, of talking to me about what we were trying to do. Yes, and talking to you, that's so important. We have to be reminded that communication is a two-way process. We are transmitting and we're receiving. And ideally, I suppose, we reach some sort of shared consciousness where we're all on the same page, at least most of the time. Now, trust and influencing comes into that, something I know that you feel very strongly about as a diplomat. Can you tell us how you would relate that to business, succinctly, so that we can all have some takeaways from your experience? Well, uh, you're absolutely right to say that that is a feature uh, of uh, the role of a diplomat. Again, uh, if I might be slightly critical, I don't think anybody who has worked in diplomacy over the last, well, as I have, 50 years, but um, uh, more recently, I'm still not sure that people are aware that there is a responsibility uh, over influencing and there is a role and there is a mechanism which can be applied in terms of influencing. I think that um, influencing divides into three categories. The first one is targets. Uh, the second one is methods. And the third one is applications. I mean, targets can be as numerous or as few in number uh, as you wish. It can depend upon the issue is, it can depend upon how major it might be. If you want to influence the government uh, on major issues of policy, uh, you have to get in touch with ministries, uh, with parliamentarians uh, and with specialist institutions. If you want to look at the methods uh, which are appropriate for doing that, there are all sorts of methods. There are uh, the linguistic issues. I mean, if we're talking about diplomacy, we need to consider whether there is a linguistic requirement. Uh, there has to be an it, there has to be a consideration of whether the people you're speaking to have an experience of UK life and know the background from which you're 
your coming. And I, I want to just um, to, uh, if I might, emphasize uh, a hobby horse, which is uh, that linguistic issue. I think that we as a nation need to look again at the way in which uh, we have rather let our linguistic capabilities slip uh, over recent years. I'm lucky enough to have started my career in the public service in 1966 when I was sent to Japan to learn Japanese. On the back of that, I also learned Korean and I also uh, spent four years uh, in the embassy in Paris and was a student at the École Nationale d'Administration, ENA, um, for a year. Now, mm -hmm. I've therefore acquired uh, three languages which I can apply in the process of influencing. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, I think that when you're looking, about the, looking at the second part of strategy and execution, if you're looking at the execution, if you have people uh, on your staff who have a capability uh, in linguistic terms, it, it will do a great deal to give them the chance to talk to the companies, talk to the clients whom you're trying to influence. Yes, I couldn't agree more with you on that one. I fear we've all become rather lackadaisical, but by speaking in someone else's language, uh, well, it's respectful apart from anything else. I think you're absolutely right, Rebecca. I mean, capability in a foreign language opens cultural and personal opportunities, but it also has a quality which we shouldn't underestimate in, in execution terms, which is you're demonstrating a commitment to an enhanced relationship uh, with your client or your yes. potential client. Yes. And that I think can give, can give you a, a, an edge in all this. And uh, I mean, I worry a lot about uh, what you've just referred to, uh, the relative disappearance of foreign languages mm -hmm. uh, as um, a feature of the education process or the, and particularly the examination process. There's no doubt at all that foreign languages may be more difficult than some of the more obvious subjects that people do. And it's largely an A-level question that people do at A-level and then go on to do at university. But, you know, if we are going to make a success of where the United Kingdom now stands as an independent country, uh, this is one of the aspects uh, of its work that we've got to work on. Yes, could you just bullet point the common characteristics of influencing? And I'd ask you then... Do you think they're practiced in government today in a way that you'd like to see? Well, I think uh, the methods uh, of influencing are, well, I'll start with linguistic considerations. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll start with the question of deciding whom you're trying to influence. That may sound to be a, a simplistic concept, but you know, you've got to analyze what's driving the man looking at you across the table. What's yes. he seeking to achieve? Yes. That affects how you influence him. Uh, that affects also the uh, nature of the message you're trying to deliver. It uh, also uh, is important to know who in, in, in the team of people that you're talking with, negotiating with, who's, pulling, who's calling the shots. Mm -hmm. uh, who is, he may not, that person may not be the leader of the team, but it may be the person who has most effect. So the issue of the position in the hierarchy of the organization of the people you're talking to is very interesting and very important. And then, you know, there may be angles, and, and this has been true in um, 
in the the um, Brexit negotiation. There may be angles about the negotiator uh, which you wish to exploit. I mean, uh, Monsieur Barnier in the in the uh, Brexit negotiations is known to be an alpinist. He is a, a man who has spent a good deal of his life engaging in uh, relatively dangerous activities uh, in the Alps. That's the sort of thing that people should try to make reference to uh, and uh, find a, a linkage with him. Yes, just to connect at a human level. Yeah. And what do you think? I mean, to come back to that question, do you think the government is doing its job in influencing today? I think the government is doing as good a job as it can uh, over Brexit. Uh, I think that uh, the Prime Minister is understandably very challenged in finding himself having to deal with a pandemic at the mm -hmm. same time uh, as uh, he, he got elected on getting Brexit done. I, I, I think that the, uh, there was a public opinion poll which came out which is rather negative about the public assessment of the effectiveness uh, of the government in dealing with the pandemic. Um, I very much take the view uh, that the pandemic should uh, be seen as an opportunity. Once it's over, once it's been dealt with, we cannot simply pass it behind us. Mm -hmm. There has to be a high level consideration of the implications of the managing of the pandemic, not because we're necessarily going to have another one. There has to be an, a, a, an examination of how well we did. That, is, that should not be an examination meant to finger point or to find personal individual responsibilities. It is a question of where the state can uh, deal better with these things in the future. And that brings me to a word I don't think I've used so far, Rebecca, which is change. Yes. Um, change is something which I think the country is not terribly good at. Mm -hmm. um, change uh, and, and the acceptance of change, particularly the acceptance of change, uh, at the top of government uh, is fundamentally important and we need to encourage it. And, you know, again, coming back to my strategy and execution point, changing the way you deal with companies as a company like Scarbeck uh, is something we must be prepared to do in order to succeed uh, in our execution objective. Yes, arguably it's a frame of mind, isn't it, that you embrace change or else you constantly put up a resistance I'm just wondering, as we conclude this episode and we talk about what has been an incredibly difficult year and Britain, not just with the pandemic, but Brexit as well, and thinking positively whether there might be a legacy from this era that could put us in a better place next year? Well, I would hope that there is a legacy. Uh, I'm sure that um, there must be several thousand books now uh, already completed up to uh, the final quarter uh, of the text. Uh, mm. which have been written over the, last, over the last year, which are all going to await publication. It's going to be rather like the, um, uh, the question of who gets the vaccine first. Yes. Um, it, it's going to be a question of whose book comes out about the effect of the pandemic first and has most effect. Um, yes, I think there has to be a legacy. Um, we owe it, dare I say it, we owe it to the people who have suffered as a result of the pandemic. Uh, not to allow uh, this period of what will turn out in the end, I suspect, to be nearly a year and a half, uh, not to allow that to pass. 
without considering whether their sacrifices uh, have uh, produced outcomes which will be beneficial for the future. Yes, well, thank you very much. And that's a very sobering point to finish. And maybe in the future there will be a time, a special day perhaps, every year that we dedicate to those who lost their lives in this pandemic so that we don't forget and we can learn from this time for the future. So thank you very much, Sir David, for some really enlightening words there for all of us and for sharing just some of your experiences as a diplomat and how diplomacy and influencing can help all of us on our journey. Thank you very much, Rebecca. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining today's episode of Your Strategy Implemented. And very special thanks to Sir David Wright for joining me to talk about the challenges of implementing strategy from the perspective of a diplomat looking to influence and build relationships across different cultures, overcoming linguistic and communication barriers, and also highlighting the three key states of influencing, target, method, and application. Please do make sure to sign up to our podcast series so that you never miss an episode. And to learn more about Scarbeck Associates and discover our latest insights, please visit our website, scarbeckassociates.com, or find us on LinkedIn and Twitter.